0: Good evening. Welcome to Pure Heart Ministries. I'm Don Noble of Pure Heart Ministries, and I welcome you today with exceedingly great joy. Tonight's message Success is easy. Success is easy. It almost sounds paradoxical in our society right now. Our nation is struggling under the weight of inflation. It feels oppressive, and it is. It hurts. It's painful. When faced with decisions, do I put gas in the car or feed my children, it makes the soul weary and discouraged. The burden becomes so great, people do desperate things. It seems like we are in desperate times. I would guess many Americans are using credit cards to pay for most of their basic needs, which leads to more indebtedness, which leads to more depression and sorrow of soul. Can a person succeed under these circumstances? The answer is yes. The question is, how? Allowing godly principles to work in your life and in your business is how? Christians were meant to thrive and flourish regardless of the economic state of the nation. Let's take Elijah, for example, in 1 Kings 17. The Lord told Elijah, There will not be dew or rain for three years. That meant a famine in the land. But God commanded the ravens to bring Elijah bread and meat in the morning and in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Now, not too many brooks would have water in a three-year famine. God supernaturally provided for Elijah. I know what you're thinking. That is not possible. Well, he's a prophet. But see, James 5.17 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah was no different from you or I, except he was willing to be obedient to whatever the Lord asked him to do. Joseph and all of Egypt flourished in seven years of famine because of the wisdom of Joseph and Joseph being obedient to what God told him to do. God gave him the plan, and he followed the plan. Here's a question to think about. Did God forsake the Israelites in the wilderness? No. He fed them. The Bible says angels' food for 40 years and provided water. When you think about it, 40 years is a long time to be in lack and without provision that you can actually tangibly see and touch. Yet every day of that 40 years, they were taken care of. So you might be thinking, that was then, this is now. But the Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did then, he can do now. Genesis 26 says, There was a famine in the land, and the Lord instructed Isaac not to go to Egypt for relief. He said, basically, stay right here, and I'll be with you, and I'll bless you. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar, which was the land of the Philistines. The Bible says that Isaac sowed in that land, and guess what happened? He reaped In that same year, a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him, and he began to prosper, and he continued prospering until he was very wealthy in the middle of a famine. We are in the middle of inflation. Feels like a famine. And a terrible economy. And you can prosper too. You just have to ask God, how do I do that? I want to share two stories of men who prospered in the midst of financial difficulty because they lived out of out of a biblical worldview and they were unchanged by the economy. Notice what I said. They were unchanged by the economy and unchanged by their personal situation. They trusted God. And God bless them with incredible ideas. We'll start with the life of George Washington Carver. Mr. Carver was born into slavery just before the close of the Civil War. I doubt, pretty sure, that none of you were born into slavery. His mom was a slave, but after emancipation, she stayed in Missouri with the family who had owned her. George and his mother were carried off from the Carver family by raiders when he was just a baby. So Moses Carver offered 40 acres and a horse, since he had no cash, to a man to find the mother and child. He brought back George, but was unable to find the mother. George, therefore, grew up on the Carver farm, but in relative poverty. As a child, he loved the woods, plants, and things related to botany. He was very observant of nature and always asked questions. He also enjoyed using his hands. At about the age of 10, he left the farm and worked his way through high school. As a young man, he worked hard and saved money to go to a certain college, but was not allowed to attend. There was a couple who helped him go to an artist school, but he found there were no jobs for an artist. He eventually was able to study his first love, agriculture. After obtaining his university degree, Carver was invited by Booker T. Washington to teach at his newly formed Tuskegee Institute in Alabama. His work, while there, transformed the economy of the South and affected many nations as well. Carver would rise every morning at 4 a.m., read the Bible, and seek God concerning what he wanted him to do. Toward the end of his life, Carver remarked, the secret of my success? It's simple. It's found in the Bible. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths." That's Proverbs 3. One thing Carver sought God concerning was how to improve the economy of the southeastern part of the United States. You see, continual planting of cotton had depleted the soil and the invasion of the boll weevil was destroying much of the cotton crop. Biographer Rackman Holt wrote that he devoutly believed that a personal relationship with the creator of all things was the only foundation for the abundant life. He had a little story in which he related his experience. He said, I asked the great creator what the universe was made for. Ask for something more in keeping with that little mind of yours, he replied. What was man made for? Little man, you still want to know too much. Cut down the extent of your request and improve the intent. Then I told the creator, I wanted to know all about the peanut. He replied that my mind was too small to know all about the peanut, but he said he would give me a handful of peanuts. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth. To you, it shall be for meat. I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. I carried the peanuts into my laboratory, and the Creator told me to take them apart and resolve them into their elements. With such knowledge as I had of chemistry and physics, I set to work to take them apart. I separated the water, the fats, the oils, the gums, the resins, the sugars, starches, pectoses, pentasans, and amino acids. There, I had the parts of the peanuts all spread out before me. Carver's story teaches us the importance of preparation in fulfilling God's plan for our lives. Carver had labored hard to develop his skills of chemistry. Consequently, God could answer the question Carver posed to him. God could not reveal the answer to this question to me today, but I would need much preparation before I'd be in a position to understand and act upon that answer. Diligent preparation is vital to understand and fulfill our calling. God may not answer many of our inquiries or lead us deeper into our providential purpose because we have not learned enough or properly been prepared to hear and understand what he may say, it is important to learn this lesson. To continue with Carver's story, this is what he said. He said, I looked at him, meaning Jesus. I looked at him and he looked at me. Now, you know what the peanut is? Why did you make the peanut? The creator said, I've given you three laws, namely compatibility, temperature, and pressure. All you have to do is take these constituents and put them together, observing these laws, and I will show you why I made the peanut. I therefore went on to try different combinations of the parts under different conditions of temperature and pressure, and the result was what you see. The results. Carver discovered over 300 uses for the peanut. Food items included nuts, soup, a dozen beverages, mixed pickles, sauces, meal, instant and dry coffee. Other items included salve, bleach, tan remover, wood filler, washing powder, metal polish, paper, ink, plastics, shaving cream, rubbing oil, linoleum, shampoo, axle grease, and synthetic rubber. He produced milk, which would not curdle in cooking or when acids were added. Long-lasting cream and cheese could be made from this milk. In fact, this milk proved to be truly a lifesaver in the Belgian, Belgian Congo. Cows could not be kept there because of leopards and flies. So if a mother died... Her baby was buried with her. There was nothing to nourish it. Missionaries fed the infants peanut milk, and they flourished. George worked with many other plants and items, making 107 products from sweet potatoes, making synthetic marble from sawdust, and making wallboard from many different southern plants. For his work, Carver received many awards and became the advisor to many world leaders, including President Franklin Roosevelt, Mahatma Gandhi, and Thomas Edison. In all his work, he never failed to acknowledge God. In 1929, when he testified before a committee of Congress, he was asked by the chairman, Dr. Carver. How did you learn all of these things? Carver answered, from an old book. What book? asked the senator. Carver replied, the Bible. The senator inquired, does the Bible tell about peanuts? No, sir, Dr. Carver replied. But it tells about the God who made the peanuts. I asked him to show me what to do with the peanut, and he did. Carver looked for divine direction and saw God as the revealer of truth. He said, I discovered nothing in my laboratory. If I come here of myself, I am lost. But I can do all things through Christ. I'm God's servant, his agent, for here God and I are alone. I am, in, I am just the instrument through which he speaks, and I would be able to do more if I were to stay in closer touch with him. With my prayers, I mix my labors, and sometimes God is pleased to bless the results. George Washington Carver knew his purpose in life. He said, My purpose alone must be God's purpose to increase the welfare and happiness of his people. Godly service, not money, not fame, was his primary motivation. In fact, Thomas Edison offered him a job with a six-figure income, a fortune in those times. But he turned it down so he could continue his agricultural work in his laboratory that he called God's Little Workshop. George Washington Carver worked for the riches of God rather than the wealth of this world. Carver helped transform the economy of the South and affected agriculture all over the world. He had to overcome all kinds of obstacles to fulfill his destiny. Only a few have been mentioned here. But in all of these, he persevered, labored hard, and pursued the desires in his heart. He had a great impact on many people upon agriculture and the economy at large. The next gentleman I want to talk about is John Wanamaker. John was the founder of the modern department store and a business pioneer in 1911. He opened a new store in Philadelphia that was so noteworthy that President Taft dedicated it. He said that the department store that Wanamaker Pioneer was one of the most important instrumentalities in modern life for the promotion of comfort among the people and that it would be a model for all other stores of the same kind throughout the country and throughout the world. 30,000 people attended this event. Words on the dedication tablet reveal the success of of the Wanamaker store, and it was due to these words, freedom of competition and the blessing of God. When John Wanamaker was a boy, he went to a jewelry store in Philadelphia on a Christmas Eve to buy his mom a gift. He said, I only had a few dollars saved up for the purpose. I wanted to buy the best thing these dollars would buy. I guess I took a long time to look at the things in the jewelry cases. The jeweler was growing impatient. Finally, I said, I'll take that, indicating a piece. Just what it was, I do not recall. The jeweler began wrapping it up. Suddenly, I saw another piece that I thought would better please my mother. Excuse me, sir, I said, but I've changed my mind. I'll take this piece instead of the one you are wrapping. You can imagine my surprise and chagrin when the jeweler answered, It's too late now. You've bought the first piece, and you must keep it. I was too abashed to protest. I took what I had first bought, but as I went out of the store, I said to myself, When I have a store of my own, the people shall have what they want and what they ought to have. This incident helped create the foundation of his business. You see, John Wanamaker was much more than a successful merchant. He founded a new system and philosophy of business based upon the biblical view of man. He was a merchant pioneer who believed that the golden rule of the New Testament had become the golden rule of business. Though at times he was cynically called Pious John, By those who thought religion had no place in business, he showed that Christianity was essential for good business. Christianity provided the character necessary to keep the many temptations of business from blowing the merchant over the precipice and be ruined, and also the principles necessary to build a successful business. He understood stores were much more than buildings with stocks and fixtures, saying the soul of the workman, must give life to the structure, not only providing needed goods for people but meeting the greater future of the nation and leading the world in its nobler civilization by its advancing education and commerce. He revolutionized business by establishing the one-price system, the money-back guarantee, the marking of the quality of goods, and the service-oriented store. He was the father of modern advertising, in that the volume of advertising became so great, as other merchants followed his lead of having daily ads in newspapers, that this gave birth to the modern newspaper and magazine, making them affordable to all. Money did not motivate John Wanamaker to build a successful business. His desire was to serve the people. Money came as a byproduct of service, He exemplified the historical truth that capitalism is a product of Calvinism. Calvinism taught that work is an important part of godliness, that God requires uprightness in all one's dealing in business. The keeping account of one's dealings in business is like God keeping account of man's actions before God. Calvinism imparts a zealousness to succeed and an understanding of the importance of savings and frugality. He had poor health. He was rejected for service in the Civil War because of this, but labored six days a week in the business and community, as well as every Sabbath, in teaching in the church and Sunday school for 70 years. He had only about two years of formal schooling, yet became one of the world's leaders in business, served in the cabinet of president Benjamin Harrison as Postmaster General, and assisted in many voluntary associations. President Taft called him the greatest merchant in America. He applied the Golden Rule to employees and customers. He promoted better working conditions, included fewer work hours per week, retirement plans, medical plans, better work environment with lockers, cafeterias, recreation clubs. He operated with the view that all his employees were part of the Wanamaker family. With both customers and employees in view, he pioneered store comforts, heat and ventilation, elevators, electric lights, and ease of access. His Philadelphia store became the largest in the world. It was much more than just its physical size. It had a spirit, a personality. The employee sought to serve the customer and had his well-being in mind. The store entertained, educated, and performed special services. People enjoyed visiting, whether they bought items or not and were refreshed from the visit. Universities studied its doors to learn successful economic principles. They could see them at work. His success came from his character. Wanamaker said, Commerce is the very lifeblood that pulsates through every fiber of a healthy body politic. What Wall Street or investment ma- banks did was of no matter unless commerce was full of life and advancing. He believed strongly in the free market and individual enterprise, with government involved only in keeping the market free and fair. The best means of advancing the economy and producing the growth of a business in a nation was to keep taxes low, cut government regulations, and encourage competition. Business thrives on competition, he wrote, and that the people's interests In getting better merchandise and lower prices are always improved when competition is stifled. So you can see that when a person follows God's will, God's plan, God's ideas, and God's directions, they will prosper no matter what. John Wanamaker prospered. Because money was not the motivation. Fame was not the motivation. His motivation had a godly underlying principle to serve mankind and to help them. So you don't need to worry about your future. Success is easy. Give it totally to the Lord. And let him manage your future. You should say amen to that. Proverbs 10, verses 3 and 4 say this out of the New King James Version. The Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish, but he casts away the desire of the wicked. He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. You can see from these two men that I've just shared, George Washington Carver was not a lazy man. Neither was John Wanamaker. They were hardworking. They weren't foolish with their finances. And their motives were God's motives. So if you think that you cannot make it, you can't survive in this economy, then I would just encourage you to spend time in God's word. I I'd, I'd encourage you to go before the Lord and talk to him about it. Ask him the plans that he has for your life. If you need ideas on how to make money, ask the Lord. He obviously helped George Washington Carver come up with like 407 different things to do with between peanuts and sweet potatoes. That's amazing. I mean, that's truly amazing. God did that. God gave him those ideas. And God can give you the same ideas. He can help you. He can help you make it through. So don't be lazy and don't be foolish. Seek the Lord with all of your heart. And I know, Without a shadow of a doubt, he will keep you. Again, I want to acknowledge the book, America's Providential History, by Stephen McDowell and Mark Bilal's. A great, great book. I can't say enough about it. You really do need to get your hands on this. It has been eye-opening for me. You can go to www.pureheart.today and listen to this message again, you can go to the iHeartRadio app if you have it downloaded on your phone. Go to podcasts under Pure Heart Ministries and listen again 24-7. And I would thank you again for always praying for this ministry. We really need your your prayers. We need your support. We need your financial support. Please, please consider sending a check to Pure Heart Ministries P.O. Box eighty five. Valley Grove, West Virginia, 26060. I am on a secular station, which is very expensive. So I would encourage you to help keep this ministry going. I surely do look forward to being with you next week. Have a special surprise for you. This is Don Noble saying, Shalom, Shalom, peace be unto you.